According to a recent report in the Harvard Crimson, more than 30 Harvard student activists just endured a 12-hour hunger strike in solidarity with the Palestinians in Gaza. The students were eager to show their unwavering support for the Palestinians. But then, around 5 p.m., those decadent little fatties started to get a bit peckish, at which point they ended the fast and treated themselves to a sumptuous dinner, ending the heroic political protest that most people less theatrically refer to as skipping lunch. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Speaking of Free Palestine, uh, there is a trans-identifying immigrant with Free Palestine written on his or her, it's unclear, uh, rifle, who just shot up Joel Osteen's congregation, which is one of the largest uh, Protestant congregations in the United States. So we will get to that a little bit later. First, though, Right now, text Knowles to 989898. We are experiencing a lot of global instability as we plunge into primary season. North Korea is testing missiles. Iran is becoming increasingly aggressive. What are you doing to protect your family in the midst of all this chaos? A great place to start is by protecting your savings. It is not too late to invest in gold with Birch Gold Group today. Unlike many other investments, gold is often viewed as a safe haven investment during turbulent times because it provides a hedge against inflation and economic uncertainty. Birch Gold will help you convert your existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and it won't cost you a penny out of pocket. While diversification does not eliminate risk entirely, Birch Gold's experts can help you manage and reduce, providing a more resilient foundation for your financial well-being. I encourage you to talk to one of their trusted experts today. Just text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, check out Birch Gold today. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898. Claim your free info kit and protect your savings with gold. That is Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898. 12-hour hunger strike. Twelve. These are our elites. These are the future leaders of America at Harvard, supposedly the most prestigious, most elite university. We are toast. (laughs) If these are our elites, if they do not have the discipline, the commitment to make it past an early dinner or whatever this hunger strike brought them to, we are totally toast. We need to fix our issues in our country. As Senator J.D. Vance just made clear. It seems today that if you point out that things aren't going very well in the United States and maybe we should focus some of our attention on the home front rather than trying to spread our empire even further overseas, you will be called a Putin stooge or a Xi Jinping stooge or an anti-American blah, blah, blah. Senator J.D. Vance, I think, just did an excellent job of shutting down this very, very stupid liberal argument. At the same time that world leaders play armchair general with the Ukraine conflict, their own societies are decaying. Not a single country, not a single country, even the United States within the NATO alliance, has birth rates at replacement level. We don't have enough families and children to continue as a nation, and yet we're talking about problems 6,000 miles away. We are being invaded 
by up to 10 million illegal migrants over the course of Joe Biden's term in office. And we have apparently no president with willpower to stop that problem. We have a fentanyl crisis that has led to the deaths of over 100,000 people per year in the last few years of our youngest and brightest people. Mental health crises are skyrocketing. Youth suicides are skyrocketing. And every single place, not just the United States, but every single one of the countries in the NATO alliance see similar, or in some cases, even more troubling dynamics on most of those metrics, from migration to economic malaise. What are we doing, ladies and gentlemen? China and Russia, if we want them to fear us, we need to rebuild our own countries. There's the key. If we want our geopolitical foes to fear us, we need to be fearsome. We need to be formidable. We're not going to trick them into fearing us. Okay, and you heard all those problems that J.D. just outlined there, the immigration crisis, the drug crisis, the mental health crisis. The biggest one is the first one he opened up with, which is we're a dying population. Every single country in the West is literally dying because we're not getting married and we're not having kids. So for the past 50 years or more, more than 50, now it's 53 years, we have had a birth rate below replacement levels. And what the libs and the warmongering Republicans will tell you is, well, that's why we got to shake the saber all the more to scare off China and Russia. We're not, we're not going to fool them. Okay. Russia also has a, a birth rate below replacement. China has no problem having children. They actually spent many decades trying to force their, their population not to have children. And China is growing and China's economy is growing. And you're not going to lie about the underlying fundamentals of these countries. You're not going to you're not going to fool your boss, you know, in a PowerPoint presentation and try to cook the numbers a little bit. The numbers are very clear. Our societies are not healthy. And so if you want to have a big strong American empire and you want to spread truth justice in the American way, which some of the the more interventionist neoconservatives want to do. The libs want to go spread pride flags in Kandahar, but some I think of the neoconservatives are well-meaning and they want to spread, you know, Um, um, the American flag and hot dogs on the 4th of July and all the good stuff that America stands for. Well, if you want to do that, we have to be a healthy country. And to be a healthy country, we need to stop killing ourselves on drugs. We need to have a functioning border. We need to uh, have children and get married and know what marriage is and know what a woman is. And if you can't have that, you are not going to be the great global empire. You're going to collapse as we are collapsing, as we have been collapsing for many years. And whether you want to admit it or not, China knows it. Russia knows we're on the decline too. That's that's why they're getting aggressive. And you're not you're not going to fool them. You're not going to fool them. You actually have to fix your problem. JD Vance has been on a roll by the way. Because also yesterday JD pointed out that in the Ukraine funding bill uh there's a little hidden treat in there that should Donald Trump get elected again, should the liberal establishment somehow fail to prevent him from getting elected, they would be able to impeach him. So J.D. Vance found in this Ukraine bill, which is no longer the border bill. Remember, initially, the Republican squishes 
They said, okay, we got this great border security bill and it doesn't actually secure the border and it actually increases mass migration and it actually increases illegal immigration. But don't worry, because most of the money goes to Ukraine for some reason in this border security bill. And then all the normal Republicans said, "Uh, excuse me, this is completely unacceptable. This is the exact opposite of what we want. Are you crazy? They said, okay, great. We'll scrap the border part entirely. Now we'll just fund Ukraine. We said, hold on, we we don't exactly want to do that either. But it gets even worse because in this Ukraine funding bill, There is a provision. Well, I'll just read what J.D. said. He said, quote, buried in the bill's text is an impeachment time bomb for the next Trump presidency. If he tries to stop funding the war in Ukraine, we must vote against this disastrous bill. So what's the time bomb? The time bomb is that money is going to be allocated to Ukraine. And if Donald Trump doesn't give it to Ukraine in due time, if if Donald Trump decides he wants to change foreign policy, which is his prerogative, then they can impeach him. And I know what the liberals and the establishment GOP types are going to say. They're going to say, oh, Michael, this is a crazy conspiracy theory. You know, you're digging around in the bill. This is already what the, the actual GOP establishment legislators have said. This is so ridiculous. Why, why on earth would we do that? Why? How would you come to this conclusion? I'll tell you how I came to this conclusion. Because you already did this. You already did precisely this with Ukraine funding. In 2019, the first time that the Democrats impeached Trump, they impeached him on this basis that they wanted to give money to Ukraine and the commander in chief and the leader of American foreign policy dragged his feet a little bit on it. And as a result, they impeached him. So they're just setting it up to do the exact same thing here because they just can't accept him being president. So they're going to spy on his campaign. Then they're going to appoint a special counsel to accuse him of colluding with Russia. Then when that flops, they're going to appoint, they're they're going to impeach him for colluding with Ukraine. And then when that flops, they're going to change all the voting rules and rig the election in, in the key states illegally, unconstitutionally in some cases. And then when that doesn't work, they're going to rinse and repeat. They're going to go back to the same old strategies and they're going to keep doing it. It's like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Trump, for his part, is staying the course. The Trump outrage du jour with respect to NATO specifically is that Donald Trump, the whole, I'll, I'll, I'll say it the way they say it. Donald Trump is, is giving Putin everything he wants. He's betraying our NATO allies. He's, he's inviting the Russians to invade NATO-allied countries. Take it away. We're 200, they're 250. I did the same thing with NATO. I got them to pay up. NATO was busted until I came along. I said, everybody's going to pay. They said, well, if we don't pay, are you still going to protect us? I said, absolutely not. They couldn't believe the answer. And everybody, you never saw more money pour in to Secretary General Stoltenberg. Well, I don't know if he is anymore, but he was my biggest fan. He said, all these presidents came in, they'd make a speech, they'd leave, and that was a bit. And they all owed money. And they wouldn't pay it. I came in, I made a speech, and I said, you got to pay up. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. you got to pay. you got to pay your bills. And the money came flowing in. And the money came flowing in. That's the key part. Much more to talk about. First, however, go to tnusa.com slash Knowles. Are you struggling? 
with back taxes or unfiled returns this year, the IRS is escalating collections by adding 20,000 new agents. In these challenging times, your best defense is to use Tax Network USA. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. These guys are not your friends. Don't waive your rights and speak with these agents on your own without backup. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help. Whether it's business or personal taxes, whether you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, Tax Network can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Seize control of your financial future now. Don't let tax issues overpower you. Contact Tax Network USA for immediate relief and expert guidance. Call 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash Knowles, Canada, B-L-E-S. Turn to Tax Network USA and find your path to financial peace of mind. tnusa.com slash Knowles. Trump says, yeah, I told these guys. They asked me, what would happen if we didn't pay our NATO bills? Would you allow Russia to invade us? I said, allow them. I'd encourage them to. Pay your bills. And the money came flowing in. <gasps> Donald Trump betrays his NATO allies, invites Russia to, to invade. No, that's not exactly what happens. There's a phrase. Maybe those of us who have spent a little bit of time in New York are more familiar with the way that Donald Trump is speaking here. There's a phrase. It's kind of vulgar, so I'll use a nicer version of it. This is called busting chops, okay? There's, a, there's an even more precise phrase, but it, we say busting chops. That's what he's doing here. Donald Trump is not literally calling for Russia to invade a NATO-allied country. Donald Trump is saying, I'm serious. Pay your bills or else. Pay your bills. You owe us money. Give me that money. Run your pockets. Give me what you owe me. (laughs) That's what he's saying, okay? And that's a good thing to say. It's a good thing to say from really any perspective on the country. There's some people who view America as just another nation among other nations. And if we're just another nation among other nations, and we just have this alliance where we're all just equals, we're all just equal partners, it's called NATO, then certainly everyone has to pay their fair share, right? Now, some people don't view America as just a nation among other nations. Some people view America as the leader of the world, as the global empire, as the world police, I'm not even saying this is a bad thing, and probably it's closer to reality than the former perspective. Okay, well, if we're the global empire and the NATO allies are really just kind of vassal states in our broad empire, then they got to pay up too because vassal states pay tribute to the imperial power. The money's got to come from somewhere, okay? And, And so the only perspective on America that would lead you to the conclusion that the NATO allies don't need to pay a penny is the view that America is just nothing. We're nothing but a tax base to farm, to send out to the pet projects of global elites all over the world. No reasonable person has that view of America. That's the bad guys and the lunatics who have that view of America. So whether you're a hardcore nationalist, whether you're the most hardcore imperialist neocon there is, either way, the NATO allies have to pay up. And the key to Trump's speech is, And the money came flowing in. It worked. That tactic worked very well. 
The official policy of the United States is all the NATO allies have to pay. And then they all ignore it because they know the president's too weak to make them actually do it. And then Trump comes in and he says, I'm going to make you do it. And they ask him, they say, yeah, but do we really have to? Like, I know you said that, but do like, do we really have to? He goes, yeah. Yeah, but like, is anything bad going to happen to us if we don't? Yeah, I'm going to tell Putin to take over your country. That's what's going to happen. Oh, okay. Well, here's the money, Donald. Okay, thank you very much. Good. That's good. That's... It's not the way maybe that liberal elites like to talk to one another, but that's the way men talk to each other, okay? That's called, it's called busting chops. It's all right. It's okay to do that. Speaking of other nations stepping up, Ecuador. We've talked a lot about El Salvador, which went from being the most dangerous country in the world to being the safest country in the Western Hemisphere because Nayib Bukele became the leader of El Salvador and arrested all the criminals and was just recently reelected with 85% of the vote because it turns out people like it when you arrest all the criminals. Well, Ecuador has been facing a similar problem. Over the past two, three months now, uh, a major gang leader was, escaped from prison. This would be uh, Jose Adolfo Macias Villamar. He's the leader of Los Choneros. He escaped from prison in Guayaquil. I'm sure I'm butchering all of these names. This was the day of his scheduled transfer to a maximum security prison, and that was on January 7th. At that point, crime goes through the roof. There was actually, you probably saw this clip, a a group of criminals who busted into a TV studio while they were live on air and held the anchor hostage and the producers hostage at gunpoint. So you can see, you've still got the TV host speaking into the camera, and these masked gunmen bust in. One has a, looks like a shotgun pistols, people down on the ground, bad looking stuff. Really, really bad looking stuff. So after this happens, Ecuador president Daniel Noboa effectively declares martial law. They're calling this the Noboa way. He changed the gang's designations from being mere criminal targets to being military targets. He unleashed the hounds, not quite as uh, aggressively as Bukele in El Salvador, but but it was pretty tough. And guess what happened? You're not going to believe this. The crime went down. Noboa had begun his crackdown on, on the gangs in December, and from December to January, so this is before the real acceleration, the number of killings in Guayaquil, or however it is pronounced, dropped by 33%. He then ramped this up even further, jailed hundreds of suspected gang leaders, reestablished control of the prisons, which had been taken over by the gangs and some other institutions. He started just stopping fighting aged men in the street, searching them for drugs, searching them for weapons. When they were bad guys, he would arrest them, throw them in the can. And guess what his approval rating is right now? 76%. Not quite as high as Bukele's. Bukele, who rounded these people up like animals, this satanic gang, MS-13, put them in cages, made a big display, humiliated them before the entire world. And guess what? El Salvador is much safer now. But Naboa is pretty close. And, and his approval rating is going up in direct proportion to how close to Bukele's policy he's getting. All of which is to say, not only that it turns out that when you lock up the criminals, the crime decreases, all of which is to say, if Ecuador can do it, why can't we do it? We have crime skyrocketing too. New York is much less safe today than it was 10 years ago. 
San Francisco, much less safe today than it was 10 years ago. Philadelphia, cities all over this country, LA even. If Ecuador can do it, if El Salvador can do it, why can't we? And the answer is, we can. We could do that in two seconds. It doesn't take a Bukele. This is the proof. If Bukele were a one-off leader, he's very talented, but if he were the only guy in the world who can do this, then they wouldn't be doing it in Ecuador too. But they are. And, And actually, let's move out of Latin America for a second. How about in Hungary? Hungary's done a great job turning its country around. If, they, if Hungary can do it, why can't the United States do it? Tucker recently went viral on this point. Uh, just yesterday, Tucker went viral discussing his recent trip to Moscow to interview Vladimir Putin and his surprise that the Moscow subways were nicer than New York subways. What was radicalizing, very shocking and very disturbing for me was the city of Moscow, where I'd never been, the biggest city in Europe, 13 million people. And it is so much nicer than any city in my country. I had no idea. My father spent a lot of time there in the 80s when he worked for the U.S. government and barely had electricity. And now it is so much cleaner and safer and prettier aesthetically. It's architecture, it's food, it's service than any country, city in the United States that you have to, and this is non-ideological, how did that happen? How did that happen? And at a certain point, I don't think the average person cares as much about abstractions as about the concrete reality of his life. And if you can't use your subway, for example, as many people are afraid to in New York City because it's too dangerous, you have to sort of wonder, like, isn't that the ultimate measure of leadership? And that's true, by the way, it's radicalizing for an American to go to Moscow, I didn't know that, I've learned it this week, to Singapore, to Tokyo, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Because these cities, no matter how we're told they're run and on what principles they're run, are wonderful places to live that don't have rampant inflation, we are not going to get raped. Sir, and excuse so, me. What is that? Excuse me, excuse me. Stop saying nice things about these places. The key here, the, the least discussed part of Tucker's commentary here that I think is probably the most interesting, is the 80s part. Because Tucker's saying, in the 80s, Moscow wasn't nice. But now it is nice. Amazing how quickly things can change. What changed? Political leaders just made a decision we could fix it. We could fix the crime problem. We could fix the immigration problem. We could fix all of these problems in the United States overnight. There's some problems that take a little bit longer, like the debt and deficit problem, like the uh, entitlement problem, like the uh, decline of belief in our civic institutions. That might take a little bit longer. But just the nuts and bolts, the crime, the migration, the enforcing the border, we could fix that overnight. We won't because our leaders don't want to. The, the other striking thing when you're an American and you travel overseas that Tucker didn't mention here is how much more powerful the U.S. is than every country on earth. I've, got, I've gotten to travel a fair bit all around the world, and you just notice, especially if you travel during an election year, everyone's paying attention to the American election because America is the global empire. We're so much more powerful than every other country on earth, most of them combined. So <laughs> if these countries that are relatively much less powerful can turn around their problems so quickly, why won't we? And the answer is a little bit depressing, though it though it's good to have clarity on it, which is we have a crime problem, we have an immigration problem, because that is precisely what our political leaders want. Listen up. I need your attention for a major announcement. You need to mark your calendars for the epic return of backstage. And when you look on your calendar, mark it for today. I probably should have told you about this earlier. It's today. After almost a year away filming the Pet and Dragon cycle, the God King Jeremy Boring is back. He's joined by Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Andrew Clavin, and yours truly, 
tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, as we go behind the scenes and beyond the headlines. There's a lot to cover, so you won't want to miss a minute. Watch the show live exclusively on Daily Wire Plus tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. You don't want to miss it. Speaking of how we treat ourselves, Sonny Hostin, a host at The View, who is black, or is she? She recently went on the show of Henry Louis Gates. He's a liberal Harvard professor of uh, uh, Obama beer summit fame. Remember, he got hassled by the police a little bit, and then Obama weighed in and attacked the police, and then they all had a beer together for some reason. Anyway, and I'm going too much into detail here. Sonny Hostin went on his show, because he has a show where he traces people's genealogy back, and she discovered <gasps> she's a descendant of slaveholders. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm in a little bit in shock. I, I just always thought of myself as Puerto Rican you know, half Puerto Rican. <laughs> I didn't think I was, uh, my family was originally from Spain and slaveholders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how are you feeling, my friend? Um, I just, um, I think it's actually pretty interesting that um, my husband and I have shared roots. Yeah. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, and I think it's great for our children mm-hmm. to know this information. Um, I guess it's a fact of life that uh, this is how some people made their living on the backs of others. Yeah, it's a fact of it's a fact of life, huh? It's really shocking. It's ooh, it's kind of depressing. Ooh, it's kind of uh-oh. Then she goes on the view and her view co-hosts say, "Hold on. Sunny, you've you've for so long been a promoter of reparations for slavery. Now that it turns out you're you're a descendant of slaveholders, does that change your view?" And I spoke to my mom about it. She was deeply disappointed. She actually cried about it. And then she said, maybe that's why I have been so connected to black culture, because it's an atonement in my spirit. Mm. And um, I, I received that. I also found out that, and there were slaves on both sides of her family, mothers and fathers. But we are 7% indigenous Puerto Rican, Taino. So I'm proud of that. I still believe in reparations, by the way, so y'all can stop texting me and emailing me and saying that I'm a white girl and that I don't deserve reparations. That's, I still believe Uh, that. Someone did that to you? I don't know who sent her a thing telling her she was a white girl. Okay, it's it's too much, people. Clean off your television screen. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a lot. So I, 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 I still believe in reparations. I still believe this country has a lot to do in terms of racial justice. I still believe in reparations, and I still believe that I deserve them, even though I am descended from slaveholders. Why does Sonny Hostin get to pick which ancestors count? Why does she get to do that, but we don't get to do that? She says, first of all, it's so pathetic. She says, Look, I'm still descended from slaves, so I still get my black card. And I'm, I'm also descended from Taino Indians. <gasps> I'm really happy about that. I'm so happy. I'd be so depressed if I were white because it's evil to be white because it's the worst thing you could possibly be. But um, I am part white and specifically like slaveholders. So, but we're just going to ignore that. And I still deserve reparations because the white ancestors don't count. Because white people are terrible and whites have no culture and even they have a culture which is evil and that's why we have to punish them. But even though I'm part white, you don't have to count that part. You only count the good part, which is the indigenous part and the black part. Give me my reparations. Only So does this work for all of us? I, despite my swarthy complexion, 
I am, as long as you count Sicilians and Italians as white, which is, uh, I, I suppose, somewhat controversial, then I'm, I'm totally white. Completely not, not one drop of, uh, you know, exotic ancestry in me. Uh, just the lowest we go is Sicily, sometimes called North Africa. So, you know, maybe, there, but then all the way up to Scotland. That's, that's pretty much where my ancestry is. So by Sonny Hostin's standards, I guess I'm totally evil. I need, to, I need to totally contribute to reparations. I don't get any reparations out of it. Even though the largest mass lynching in American history, by the way, took place against Italians, which that's also written out of our history, but I'll leave the racial grievance to other people. One of my ancestors, George, I guess he's slightly, because he died, he's slightly, he's like a great, 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 great uncle, George Cobnoles. He fought for the Union in the Civil War. He died at the Battle of Boynton Plank Road. So am I absolved? Do I have to pay the reparations to Sonny Hostin? Who's the dis- I don't have any slaveholders in my ancestry. Sonny Hostin does. So shouldn't she be chipping into the reparations? Why do, why do I have to chip in? I, I have relatives who died in the Civil War for the cause of abolition. She didn't. Does she, right? She's, oh, she got people who were defending slavery. Why do, how come she gets to pick which ancestors count and she's totally absolved of any historical guilt, but I don't. I, who actually don't seem to have a ton of historical baggage by the modern standards, how come I, just by being a white guy, even a vaguely white guy, I'm pretty tan, I, how does any of this make any sense? It doesn't, obviously. They're just sort of making it up as they go along. Sonny Hostin went into that Henry Louis Gates episode with the conclusion, which is, I am victim, I deserve your money, I deserve your pity. White people evil. Don't call me white person. How dare you? She'll go on the view later. She said, don't you dare stop calling me white. It's like calling someone evil. It's like calling someone a Nazi. It's like calling, it's just, it's the worst thing you could be called. She went in with that conclusion. And then Henry Louis Gates says, hey, so the facts are you're a descendant of the people that you consider the most evil people in the world. She says, nah, la, 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 doesn't matter. I'm 7% Taino. I'm good. I'm fine. La, 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 la. The, the, the folly of it all, though, of course, is that one, if you trace your ancestry back even one generation, uh, you'll find plenty of evil things because the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. You don't even have to trace your ancestry back. You can just look at yourself and you've committed all sorts of evil things. And if you go, if you believe as Christians do in human solidarity, if you think that we all came from a, a single set of ancestors who we call Adam and Eve, then you believe that we all share in the fallenness of human nature, uh, undertaken by an abuse of the free will of our first parents. But that's fallen, that, that, that view is now called superstitious and crazy and ridiculous. So instead we end up with the, the justifications of, of Sonny Hostin, which seem a little crazier and more ridiculous if you ask me. Speaking of liberation movements, really, really sad story. A, a lunatic who is allegedly was allegedly a trans-identifying person who is an immigrant, uh, just shot up a church, Joel Osteen's church, which is one of the largest, I think the largest Protestant congregation in the United States, has something like 45,000 people weekly attend. Uh, We're trying to figure out the motives, of course, but I think the free Palestine on the gun and the uh, transgender identity would suggest this is a person who is a little bit more on the left side of the spectrum and also insane. 
but we're not allowed to say that anymore. We're really, I'm, I'm not just saying, oh, our culture is so stifling that we're not allowed. I mean, I just, I actually mean, I, I, I'll probably be bleeped on YouTube for saying that if you're a, a man who thinks that he's a woman or a woman who thinks that she is a man, that you're just by definition insane and you're not in your right faculties and you should be given psychiatric help and you should not be permitted to go out and purchase guns and go shoot people. Uh, we've seen a lot of these trans-identifying shooters go in and commit all sorts of terrible crimes. It's been almost a year now since the Nashville shooting where a trans-identifying maniac went in and shot up a, a, a little Christian school and targeted little kids. We still haven't seen that manifesto, and we haven't seen it because the authorities don't want us to see it because it has a politically inconvenient narrative to it. When it's a white guy shooter, when it's an angry white guy shooter who likes Hitler or something, we get that manifesto before the shooting is finished. But when it's a trans-identifying shooter who's clearly motivated by left-wing politics, then we don't get the manifesto. And here, it's not just the alleged trans identity of the shooter. It's also the, the free Palestine stuff, which whatever your views on the Israel-Palestine conflict, it seems pretty clear to me that the, the free Palestine protesters are 99.999% radical left. And so you, you won't hear very much about this. The facts that we do know are that uh, off-duty officers came and prevented this from being a much larger tragedy is 28-year-old Houston cop and a 38-year-old agent with the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission. Uh, the only reason we even think the shooter is trans-identifying is that she or he, I don't even know because this person is kind of short, but is also an immigrant from Latin America, and Latin Americans are not necessarily the tallest people in the world. So on, on this person's lengthy arrest records, you have the name Jeffrey, but then you also have a woman's name, and it's just it's just totally unclear. My main takeaway from, from all of this, first of all, I think that this person brought a child in, and I, the child was in critical condition. We can pray that the child comes out all right. I haven't seen any updates on this. Um, uh, another guy was shot in the leg, but luckily not a ton of deaths. My main conclusion here is, it's always the ones you most expect. It's, all, it's always the ones you most expect. Forget about we've seen a lot of these trans-identifying shooters. So if, if we locked up or, or put some uh, limits, psychiatric and prudent political limits on people who are obviously not in control of their rational faculties, maybe you'd get less of this kind of violence. But, but even beyond that, because I know what the libs are going to say. They're going to say, well, a lot of the shooters in these sorts of incidents are white kids. Uh, yeah, sometimes, I guess. But what are the other things that unite them? Virtually all of them are fatherless. Virtually all of them are on heavy psychiatric drugs. Virtually all of them are neglected by their schools. The schools don't want to take disciplinary action because we live in a culture now that, that says don't, don't punish anybody. A lot of them have criminal records, but we're told, no, let the criminals out of prison. So how about we just fix those problems? I guess what's so, it ties in with all the other stories we're talking about today. These awful incidents are made especially awful because they're so predictable. And we all know it, and we could fix it overnight. We could reduce these kinds of incidents by probably 90 to 95% overnight if our political leaders wanted to, but they don't want to. So they don't. So everything that leads into this kind of a, a shooting, mass migration, first of all. And not, how about we just ha have less migration? And how about we deal with the border crisis? Very simple. Every crime that an illegal alien commits 
is on the on blood on the hands of the people who want open borders. But even if this person were a legal immigrant, I don't know if this person were a legal immigrant, mass migration just causes a lot of social problems. Maybe we need to reduce that. That's what most Americans want to do anyway. Totally simple, totally easy. Uh, men can't be women. We all know that to be the case. And it's just some perversion of the will or of the intellect that leads some people to insist that men can be women. We could fix that overnight because our society for un- until about seven or eight years ago just operated that way. So we could just fix that. We could just go back to the way things always were and the the proliferation of this that particular sexual pathology that would disappear immediately. We could, what else? We could discourage divorce. We now encourage divorce in our country because we have no-fault divorce and because we, we uh, deny the sacramental nature of marriage and because we deny the complementarity of the sexes and because we're just deeply selfish and individualistic about this. Well, if we just went back to the way things used to be and recognize that marriage is the building block of society and that when you make a vow before the public and before God and before a minister and to the other person, you got to stick to that. And if you are going to get divorced because it's a fallen world, you're going to have to accept some blame. It's going to have to be a little bit difficult. We're going to discourage it with the law as every sane country has always done. That would probably reduce the fatherlessness. That would probably reduce these broken homes. And if you had a political economy, that allowed and even encouraged mothers to have kids and stay home. That gave them that choice if they wanted that choice. That might help too. Really simple stuff that some other countries have done. I mentioned Hungary earlier. Hungary is the only country in the West that has started to turn around its birth rate problem. It still hasn't solved it, but it started to turn it around. You know how they did it? Because they said if you have more than four kids, more than three kids, you don't have to pay taxes. And guess what? People started having more kids. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that so crazy? You could fix these things, but to fix them, you have to have a political will to do that. And our political leaders, it's not even just that they don't care. They are actively encouraging the stuff that is leading to social collapse. You know, yes or no is not just a show. It's not just an excuse to make my guests squirm. It is the Daily Wire's number one hit party game with 200 cards filled with titillating topics and the ability to play up to nine people at once. You can put your knowledge of your friends and family to the test, much as I did when I sat down with my friend, Brett Cooper. I admit, I do sympathize a little with Dylan Mulvaney, because I too was once an impressionable theater kid, (laughs) and who knows what could have happened to me if I was cast in Rent on Broadway in my wayward youth. I sympathize with (laughs) Dylan Mulvaney because I was a theater kid. Let's answer and I'll comment. One, two, three. Go to dailywire.com slash shop to get your yes or no game today and then get the expansion pack. And then maybe we'll have another expansion pack. My favorite comment yesterday is from Ultri Legina 11 who says, the more I hear about social media and decisions by the liberal establishment, the more I feel conservatism is a resistance movement rather than a political party. Uh, yes, do you know, Logo Daedalus, who's a kind of interesting, a little bit eccentric, but interesting Twitter account, Logo Daedalus made this point last night, which is that conservatives are the revolutionary party in the United States because the liberals, having taken over all of the institutions, have now become the conservatizing party. Meaning, a good example would be that the liberals are the ones defending the NFL. 
Conservatives now kind of hate the NFL, and liberals are the ones defending it. The liberals are the ones who are defending the status quo. The liberals are the ones who are defending the entrenched power. And the conservatives are the ones who are trying to upend all of that. The liberals are the ones who are running Joe Biden, who's just this corpse who's been in Washington since 1972. And the conservatives are the ones running this wild, crazy populist guy. Uh, So that's true. It is a strange situation in the United States now that the conservatives are functioning more as the revolutionary party and the liberals are functioning more as the conservative party. I don't know. Pretty weird, huh? Now, turning back to Palestine liberation, really, really troubling story uh, from the Associated Press. Uh, Associated Press has a headline, breaking health officials say more than 12,300 Palestinian miners have been killed in Israel's war on Hamas in Gaza. So absolutely horrific headline, and nobody knows how to react to it. First of all, because it's the Associated Press, which is a radical leftist organization. So, you know, the Associated Press sends out guidance to their reporters to, you know, call men women and women men, and we just don't, they're just not really honest. So you don't know if you can believe the AP reporting. Furthermore, they say health officials, they're referring to Hamas officials. Those are Hamas numbers, 12,300 Palestinian miners. Now, miners, by the way, that doesn't That's a euphemism. Miners refers to children. So it's even worse when you think about that. Is the number really 12,300? I don't know. Maybe Hamas is lying about that. But what's the number? Say it's 10,000. I don't know. That's horrific. Say it's 8,000. That's still horrific. Say it's 5,000. I mean, really, just, just about any number you can give is really, really horrifying. So what do we think about it? What's the, no one ever seems to come to any kind of conclusion on this conflict, this might be the single most intractable conflict in the world. And you get these just horrific headlines, especially with regard to children. You, know, you can't imagine anything worse. The reason that no one ever comes to conclusions about this is because no one ever wants to acknowledge the reality of the interests of the, of the respective belligerents. Namely, that both sides want ethnic cleansing in the opposing territories. Both sides want ethnic cleansing, and they both sort of rationally want ethnic cleansing. The Israel view is that having the Palestinian Arabs in Gaza who are going to elect a mosque is an unacceptable security risk, and the pogrom of October 7th proved that, and so they just can't tolerate that anymore. And so they're, they're probably not going to admit this publicly, but the, the rational policy that the state of Israel is pursuing is ethnic cleansing in Gaza. Now, the Palestinians are a little more forthright about, about their policy. I mean, even the, the uh, hunger-striking pro-Palestine activists at Harvard University who, you know, skip their midday snack before stuffing their faces in, in the evening, uh, they, they say quite explicitly that their, their desired policy is ethnic cleansing in the state of Israel. They say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which means we're going to erase the modern nation state of Israel. They think it's illegitimate. They think it was illegitimately founded, and they want to get rid of all the Jews. So that's it. Both sides, their, not only their current policy goal, but really the only policy goal that they can logically arrive at, given their premises, is the ethnic cleansing of the other territory, which is unacceptable from the perspective of the United States and the international community. So what are we going to do? The most morally attractive outcome, which is going to be the least satisfying to anyone, is just to maintain the status quo. 
And that means that the Palestinian Arabs need to accept that they're not going to get their old land back or the land that they very much desire from the river to the sea. And the Israelis are going to have to accept an increased security risk on their western flank, southwestern flank. And that's not acceptable to anybody, but what's the other solution? Every, everyone saw this headline from the AP yesterday and reacted either by denying it and saying, you can't believe Hamas's numbers, or by saying this is just so obviously horrific, you know, I, I've never seen a worse headline. Okay, but no one came to any conclusion because they're, because they're hiding the ball on the conclusion because the conclusions are totally unacceptable from each side. So then the only conclusion that I think one can reach, at least from the, the American perspective, is wind down the war, contain the war, don't let it develop larger, and effectively maintain the status quo. No one wants to hear. Some of us have been saying it from the beginning. What's the alternative? Speaking of death overseas, really troubling story out of the Netherlands. The former Dutch prime minister, Dries van Acht, this is a day of mispronouncing names. This is a day of very tr- difficult to pronounce foreign names, so please forgive me. The former Dutch prime minister, Dries van Acht, and his wife just killed themselves together, legally, legally, because the Netherlands has perhaps the most barbaric pro-suicide policy of any nation on earth. Uh, Canada is quickly getting close. Belgium is getting close. But the Netherlands has been has been on this track for a while. The Netherlands, there's a, a famous story that came out of a, a woman, uh, elderly woman, who had agreed to assisted suicide on a sunny day. And then when the time actually came, she said, no, I don't want to kill myself. And her family and the doctors held her down and poisoned her until she died. So this is spreading. So the, the Dutch prime minister and his wife decided to do this. And according to the Rights Forum, talk about an Orwellian term. This is a pro-suicide group. His health became more and more fragile, and he wanted to focus his attention on his wife, children, and grandchildren. Uh, But they decided to kill themselves together because they felt that they couldn't live without each other. So hold on, he wanted to focus more attention on his wife, children, and grandchildren. But then he realized he was just, he was not feeling that great. So he decided to kill himself and not focus any time on his wife, children, and grandchildren. And his wife felt so sad about this that he he led her to kill herself as well. Does this remind you of anything that maybe you read about in school? Because this reminds me of something that I read about in school. Did you ever read about the, the old Indian practice of sati? The practice of, of a widow throwing herself on the funeral pyre of her husband as he's burning. And so she would obviously be burned to death as well. It's an old practice, those old Hindus in India. And the British put an end to sati. The British, when they colonized India and and brought Christianity, Christianity first arrived in India with St. Thomas, the apostle, but they, they brought a little bit more widespread Christianity and they, they put an end to that particular practice. Now that practice is coming back. This is just modern day sati. You know, the suicide risk is increased over two and a half times in families with a history of completed suicide. If you are related to someone who has killed himself, you are two and a half times as likely to kill yourself because suicide is scandalous. It's a, it's a stumbling block. It can, it can lead you astray. That's what happened here. This woman wouldn't have killed herself if her husband didn't kill himself, but he did, so she's going to kill herself. And now the kids are going to see that and say, well, I guess that's just how we go these days, and maybe they're going to kill themselves. They're much more likely to. Maybe the grandkids will too. This is modern-day sati. 
We are already seeing the social consequences of legalizing and encouraging suicide. And the question that it's going to come down to is not, is the West going to be, you know, traditionally Christian and uphold all the moral prohibitions on all these sorts of things, like, you know, murdering babies and having weird uh, occult orgies and, you know, uh, ritual suicide. Are we going to, like, are we going to continue those... Christian prohibitions on those sorts of things? Or are we going to be really rational and intellectual and scientific? That's not the the distinction. All all those things I just mentioned that are supposedly rational and scientific and modern, they're just old pagan things. Infanticide, that's just an old pagan thing. Weird occult orgies, that's just an old pagan thing. That's what they used to do in the weird old ancient Greek temples and all the ancient temples to pagan demons. Ritual suicide, sati, They're just pagan things. So the question for us is, because everyone's got to serve somebody, is the West going to be Christian or are we going to be, are we going to go back to being pagan after having been Christian, which is a kind of apostasy, which is much, much worse than uh, the kind of paganism that exists before you see the revealed truth of religion. Much, much worse. Because you've seen the truth and you've rejected it rather than just following uh, nature You've, you've seen something beyond nature. You, you, and as a result of that, you've had the most flourishing civilization that has ever existed. Nothing like it will ever exist again. And then you go back. Okay, well, I'd, I would prefer the society without uh, infanticide and weird occult orgies and uh, the ritual suicide of your wife. I don't know. That's, that's just me. Call me old-fashioned. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowleskin at WLAS at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. One stage. One night. No limits. Don't miss the epic return of the God King, Jeremy Boring. With Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin. Backstage. Watch it live tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Exclusively on the Daily Wire Plus app and on dailywire.com. 